Good morning, Cedar Creek Church. I am glad to see you this morning. And this was probably the part of the sermon that I was more nervous about than anything else because it was silence. And we don't like silence, if truth be known. Our lives are going at such a rapid pace that for things to slow down and for us to get quiet is hard. I'll just tell you. I kidded with the guys in the media booth and the sound booth this morning and told them I didn't know how long I'd be able to go because it's hard for me to be quiet and for me to be still. Um, part of it is you're probably wondering, looking up here thinking, why is he just standing there? Why isn't he preaching? Does he not have anything to say? So some of it might have been that, but the reality is it's just awkward when things are silent. It becomes really awkward when things are silent, when we feel like the God who loves us, the God who created us, the God who cares about us, when he's silent. And it seems like we're pouring out our heart to him, we're crying out to him, and we need and yearning so much for him to speak to us, but he seems silent. And one of the things we're doing over these three weeks over this sermon series is just looking at some of the reasons why it is that God might be silent. And again, this is not an exhaustive list at all. There could be many, many reasons why it is that he's silent. But the reality is at times it can feel like that. And I would probably say looking out across this worship center, there are many of you that may be right there right now that would just say, Danny, I'm just not hearing from God. I'm pouring out my heart, but he's not responding. And today we're going to look at a second thing um, that could be a reason that God is silent, and I want to be careful when I talk about this because I don't think this is the only reason that God can be silent. I'll also tell you this, this is not a fun topic to talk about today. Um, this is a hard topic to talk about today. And the topic we're going to talk about is, why is God silent or why is it that God's silent in my life? Is it due to my need for repentance? Is there something in my life that has cut off God's ability to speak to me? And this is a really, really big deal, and my prayer is that you don't get upset and you don't get mad, you don't get angry, you don't shut me out at any point, but you just simply ask yourself, could this be a reason why God's angry with me? Now let me show you for just a second how important this is. Um, over in Psalm chapter 66, verse 18, um, the psalmist really makes a, a quite a declaration here that I believe has tremendous truth to it. And I want you to listen to this. He says this, if I had not confessed the sin in my life, and listen to this phrase, the Lord would not have listened. Wow, did you hear that? Listen to that again. If I had not confessed the sin in my life, the Lord would not have listened. So could it be today that we could say the same thing? God, you're not listening. God, I don't feel like you're talking back to me because there's sin in my life. 
And if that's you today, my prayer, my hope is that this is an encouraging message to you and that you pick up and you move forward. I pray for the rest of us. It would just be a, be a warning sign, a caution to us to make sure that we're continually confessing, continually bringing that sin before God, making sure that that sin in no way, shape, or form is what's breaking that communication with God. So that'll give you an idea of where we're going today. So let's just jump right in with point one. And as it relates to this whole idea of God being silent, our stubbornness could be one of those reasons. Our stubbornness, and you'll see that in the first blank that you've got in your outline there. Um, and I'm going to read out of Psalm 32. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 in point number 1, and I'm going to come back up to verses 1 and 2 for the second point. I know that I'm not crazy. There's a reason I'm doing it this way. So let's just look at verses 3 and 4 and see what they say. God's Word says this, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And I want to take a few minutes and pack this apart and, and unpack this as it relates to stubbornness. And I hate to tell you this this morning. I hope I'm not going to burst your bubble, but we are a stubborn people, okay? Uh, we get set in our ways, and short sometimes of a miracle, we continue to do what we want to do, the way we want to do it, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. We are just stubborn about so many different things, and we're even stubborn about what we're talking about today, and that is confessing our sin, as we're going to see in just a minute. I want to start off just looking at that first phrase in verse 3 that says, refuse to confess, and I want to talk just for a brief moment about the meaning of that, because this is pretty important. That word refused simply means to not comply or be unwilling to do something. So when you and I refuse to do, to do something, it's simply we're saying, hey, I'm not going to comply to that or I'm unwilling to do what you've asked me to do. And that's what that means. The other word that I want you to see is the word confess. And what confess means is to, to conceal, to keep quiet, to be deaf. Or, or that means our unconfession means that we conceal something, we keep quiet. And I love that last one, the whole idea of to be deaf to it. We just kind of put it away and don't hear and don't allow God to do in us what we want to do, what we need to do toward him. So really what I'm saying is you and I at times can be unwilling to speak um, and to admit the sin in our life. If we're really, really honest, that's what it boils down to, that we're unwilling to commit, hey, I have sinned against God and there's something in my life that is not right. And I started thinking about that for a minute. I went back to a childhood experience. Um, my mom and dad were like yard freaks. I mean, my dad had the perfect yard, flowers all over the yard, beautiful flowers, people stopping by, people wanting to walk on his grass and do all this kind of stuff. But one thing in particular I remember about growing up is we had our basketball court at home. It wasn't a real, real big court, big enough to play two on two. But around that basketball court on two sides of it were flowers and beautiful, beautiful flowers. And you can kind of see where I'm going, basketball and basketballs and flowers and teenage or kids at that point, they don't go very well together. So my mom always told us, hey, if you mess up my flowers, just tell me you messed them up. Most of the time it's going to be okay, just be careful. So I knew what the rules were. But um, at times when I would lose the ball into the flower bed and they would crush the flowers, I would pick the ball out of the flower bed and instead of just going in and telling mom, I would try to straighten up the branches on the flowers so that she wouldn't know that they had been broken. Well, as you can imagine, after a day or so, it was pretty obvious when they started withering and dying that the basketball had hit them. So mom would always bring us outside. Guys, who is breaking my flowers? And of course, none of us wanted to admit that. 
We refused to confess to mom that we did it. So then we all got jacked up and all got punished and kind of learned the system. Hey, go ahead and admit it so everybody else isn't getting punished. But the reality is, and I know that's a small example, but the reality is that was just my unwillingness to, hey, I did this. I'm confessing that I did what you've told me not to do and I messed up your flowers and you told us to come to you and I wasn't willing to do that. On a much greater scale than that, I need you to understand in a much more serious way, God is saying to us, confess your sin to me. Don't continue to conceal it. Don't continue to hide it. Confess your sin to me. And if you don't do that, it leads to some really, really tough things. I just Three of them came to my mind that when you and I are quiet about the sin in our life, bitterness happens. We get angry with people, and I struggle with this a lot of times, and I deal with this a lot, but we harbor that bitterness, and sometimes it can even move into hatred, but when we're not willing to confess, God, I know I shouldn't feel this way about somebody. Maybe I deserve to feel this way about them. They've hurt me. They made me angry, whatever the case is, and I'm justified in that, but we know as believers that that's not where we're supposed to be. We, we don't confess that, and that bitterness builds and builds and builds. Or maybe it's just a relationship in general that we are not willing to confess to God, hey, there's a situation, there's a struggle here. God, I need you to show me where I might be wrong, what I need to do. So that relationship continues to get further and further apart. Or maybe it's a habit you're dealing with today and you're not willing to confess that. You're not willing to take that to God and just to admit to him, hey, I'm guilty of this. Out of stubbornness, we hang on to that. And what I want you to see is this, and this is really important. I want you to take a look at what the result of when we do that, when you and I do that, listen to what the result of that was. First of all, my body wasted away. Think about that for a minute. When you and I fail to confess the sin in our life, our body wastes away. And what that word actually means is our bodies become old. Now, don't be offended, okay? I'm 50 years old, and some of you think that's a young whippersnapper. I understand that. But one of the things I've noticed from the 30s to the 40s to the 50s is my body has changed a lot. And what I could do at 30 years old and do it really, really with high intensity and be okay with it, if I do it at moderate intensity right now, I end up hurting something, pulling something, having to recover. It takes my body a whole lot longer because my body is just getting older. And I hate to tell you this, but my body's just wasting away. It's going to be harder and harder. I also think about the fact that, as, as this comes up, that not only does our body waste away that way, but it, it's a, the whole idea is that it gets worn out, it decays. And when I thought about that word, I thought about a, a global trip that I went on about seven years ago to Nicaragua. And one of the people that we were missed, people groups who we were missed, ministering to lived at the city garbage dump. And I'll never forget, as we got within probably a half a mile of that place, you started smelling the stench. And the closer and closer you got, flies were everywhere. And you would try to cover your mouth. It did no good at all, almost to the point you were gagging. And the further we went, the more and more intense it got because things were just decaying there. And I thought about what a great picture when you and I are unwilling to confess our sin. That's what happens to us spiritually. That's what happens to us physically. We start decaying because we're hanging on to something and we're trying to protect something we were never meant to protect. And there's a result of that. Our bodies are wasting away. You'll also see another, another um, example of this and the result of this is groaning. When I think about the word groaning, I think about being sick and not to be too graphic with you, but for me, I think about leaning over the porcelain throne, throwing up, okay? And as you throw up, you're just, I don't know about you, maybe I'm giving you too much information, but for me, I mean, I'm like gagging and groaning while I'm doing that. It's miserable. I can't, I mean, it's just a bad, bad place to be, and you're groaning because you just don't feel good. 
I was reminded of, a, of someone that I saw passing away with cancer years ago in my student ministry days. And as this mom was passing away, um, I just had a flashback to this whole idea of groaning as Miss Roberts was taking her last breath, just the deep pain that she was in. And this is what she was doing. She was just groaning. And as I really started looking at that word closely, it was interesting because that word groaning actually means the roar of a lion. And I started to think, why the roar of a lion? And I thought, think about how big and how fierce and how powerful that is. And we are harboring sin and we're hanging on to sin and we're beginning to groan. That's what it's like. It's like that roar of a lion or the other definition was a cry of distress. And it's just that we're crying out. We don't know what to do. We're totally at a loss of what to do because that sin is beginning to overtake our lives. So first of all, we need to understand the result is our bodies are wasting away. Another result is that we need to understand is that we're, that we're groaning. A third one is the hand of discipline. For this writer, for David, he was talking about the God's hand of discipline was on him. I understand that full well as a kid growing up because my mom's hand of discipline was on me a whole lot growing up. And I learned what I needed to do and what I didn't need to do and corrections I needed to make as a result of that. And then he goes on to talk about that his strength was evaporated. What a great picture it was evaporated. That word actually means to be, uh, to be drained or to be changed for the worse. So what David was saying is that because he was hiding this sin in his life, his life was being changed for the worse. It was getting worse and worse and worse off because he was holding on to that sin and harboring it. And I couldn't help but think about uh, that word evaporated. And um, believe it or not, when I go to the beach my, uh, with my fair skin, my whole objective is not to get dark and tanned. It's to stay out of the sun. So I set up my little umbrella. I sit in the shade all day. But the minute I start getting hot, I'm not a summer fan at all. I like the winter. Then I want to go to the pool and jump in. And then I shoot back out and sit there. And for about two minutes, I enjoy the cool until the water starts evaporating off my body. And then all of a sudden I start getting hot again and I start getting anxious again. I want to get back in the pool. And I think that's what can happen for us is that once we allow that sin to stay in our life, it begins to just take everything out of us and it begins to evaporate the things God wants to be there. It begins to take those away because we're harboring and we're holding on to that sin. So the first thing I need you to understand as it relates to this whole idea of God's quietness maybe being related to the sin that's in our life and something we need to repent of is that we're stubborn. And we need to confess that sin. Number two, you need to understand this, that God, we need to understand God's desire. We need to understand God's desire. We know we're stubborn and we know there's consequences to our stubbornness. So what now? Well, we're getting ready to find out. And what you need to realize today is this, that God has a passion and a desire for things to be different in your life. He does not want you to stay in that place of your body wasting away, of you groaning, of you having to deal with his hand of discipline or with your strength being evaporated. He doesn't want you to stay there. God has a plan and God has an incredible purpose for each of our lives. So what is that? Let's look at verses 1 and 2, and you'll see a little bit about what that is. Verse 1, David says this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Man, what a powerful verse. Listen closely. Let's, let's kind of pick that apart. What's God's desire? First of all, that our disobedience be forgiven. Listen to me for a second. Some of you are in a place right now and you feel like you are so far away from God, there's no way he could love you, there's no way he could forgive you, there's no way he could give you a second chance. And what I'm simply telling you this morning, not from Danny Wilson speaking, but what I'm telling you from the Bible, from God's word, what he's telling us is his passion and his desire is simply to forgive your disobedience. 
but he's going to need you to do something. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you need to know that's what he wants to do. He wants to lift that thing. He wants to move it away from you. He wants to remove the guilt. He even wants to remove the penalty for that, and he's done that through Jesus Christ. But it's that important to him that he forgive you, and that's what his passion and his desire is. Sin is a big, big deal to God. Sometimes we want to minimize it, but we've got to stop and remind ourselves that sin is what sent Jesus Christ to the cross. So that little sin that we like to talk about that's not that big a deal, it's a big deal to God because Jesus Christ had to die for that sin. So this is big. We offend God and we hurt God often with our sin. Think about yourself for just a minute. When someone hurts or angers you, um, are you not offended by that? Do you not want them to come back and say to you, hey, I'm sorry for what I've done. I shouldn't have done that to you. Yes, we get angry when somebody offends us and, and we get hurt. That's exactly what happens with God. He's heartbroken when those things happen. The second thing you'll see there, a second desire of his, is that our sin be out of sight. That our sin be out of sight. I started thinking about that, um, and a, really a crazy illustration came to mind. So if you're a highway patrolman or a police officer, don't get offended when I tell you this, But because I really don't mean anything by it at all. But when I'm driving down Whiskey Road or down the interstate and I see a highway patrolman or a police officer come in behind me, all of a sudden I just like freak out and I just think, what have I done? He's getting ready to pull me. Am I going too fast? And I forget to use my turn signal. Why in the world is this guy coming in behind me? And so I'm paranoid and I'm constantly watching him thinking, is he going to turn there? Is he going to turn there? Is he going to come around me? I want him to get out from behind me because I want him out of sight because when he's behind me, it scares me. And one of the things in in kind of a crazy way I want to say to you is this. I think that's probably how God is when it comes to sin in our life. He wants it out. It paranoids him. He knows it can hurt us. He knows that it can do damage to us. And he wants that sin out of our life, out of sight. It's hard to move on and get, get away from hurt that sin causes whenever we're harboring and we're hanging on to it. And God wants us to release that. And God's desire is that we would release that and that it would be out of sight and that it would be out of our life totally. Then he goes on to a third thing here, and he says that our record would be cleared of guilt. This one's cool to me, that our record would be cleared of guilt. You know, truth be known, um, it's a horrible feeling when you're guilty and you know it, okay? When you are guilty and you know you've done something wrong, that is an absolutely horrible place to be because you feel it, and you feel guilty over what you've done. Been there many, many times, and I'll probably continue to go there, but the reality is that is not a fun place to be. I remember, um, I think I was... 12, 13 years old, my brother and I started playing some golf. Well, when you first start playing golf, um, you probably understand that you lose a lot of golf balls. And so we had some golf balls. We lost our golf balls. So we were riding home from the golf course one day, and my brother said, let's go to Richway. I don't know if any of you know Richway, but that I think that was Target before it was Target. I think it was Richway and then Target bought them or whatever else. Anyway, that's irrelevant. Um, so we go to Richway, and my brother says, Let's just steal golf balls. Well, your campus pastor at that point in his life decided we got to play golf. We got to learn how to play golf. We need golf balls. So we went to the golf ball aisle and I took a little three sleeve of golf balls. And I won't tell you where I put them, but I got them out of the store, okay? We got home, um, didn't get caught. Everything was good. Mom happened to hear my brother and I talking about it. And she opened the door and she looked at both of us and she said, get the golf balls and get in the car. And we're like, what's going on? 
And she said, we're going to Richway, and you're going to tell them that you stole golf balls. See, my mom didn't play, and there were consequences for things. And probably at 12 or 13 years old, I'm sure I was weeping in the car. Mom, they're going to lock us up in jail. Mom, they're going to prosecute us. Mom, this is, this is going to go on our record. I could hear myself now. But the reality is we had to go back to Richway and find the manager of that store and basically say to him, sir, we stole these golf balls from you. Now, thankfully, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story so you don't worry about it and worry about my, you know, my record or anything else. He forgave us. We were not pressed charged. There were no charges pressed against us, but we learned a valuable lesson that day for sure. But I started thinking about this and how awesome it was to go and to do, to do that. Granted, it was by force, but nonetheless, even in that situation to confess that and then all of a sudden for that man to clear our record and for him to say, nope, thank you for doing that. Don't steal from my store again, uh, but thank you for coming back and telling me. And just to realize that our record had been cleared was huge. And that's what God wants to do for us. That's one of the things his desire is that no matter what the sin is in your life, no matter what it is that you're going through, God's passion and God's desire is to clear that record. It's the whole reason that Jesus Christ came into this world because God loves you and he wants your record clear so you can spend all of eternity with him in heaven. And then the last thing you'll notice there is he talks about the fact that God's desire is that life be lived in honesty. And this is a big one to me, because when we live a life in honesty, that's a life of freedom. A lot of my years in youth ministry, I would, tell, I would tell students all the time, if you live honest and you tell the truth, you never have to worry about your story matching up. You never have to worry about being found out. You never have to worry about the details match up, because it's going to be consistent every time. It's when we start lying that all of a sudden, now what did I say last time? Does that match the story I gave last time? Is that detail the same that I gave last week? And all of a sudden, there, there's a lot of bondage that comes from that. And what God's word is telling us, and what God's desire is, is that we live lives of honesty. And with that, it's going to come incredible freedom. So what is God's desire? That disobedience be forgiven, that sin be out of sight, that our record would be cleared of guilt, and that our life would be lived in honesty. That's what God wants in each of our lives. So let's think about this for a minute as we move on to point three. We know that our problem is stubbornness, and we know that God has a desire for us despite that stubbornness. So let's talk for a minute about what that is. It's our action. That'll be point three there. There's an action that we need to do here, okay? Um, thankfully, God loves you and God loves me so much that he doesn't leave us stranded. He has a plan for each one of us, and that's what we're going to tie into. That plan is based around some action on our part. Imagine this for a minute. Imagine knowing that you had an issue or a situation and there was no way to get out of it. You're in a situation or you're facing some, some obstacle and there's no way to get out of it. Let me give you an example that happened to me one time. Again, I'm going a lot back to my teenage years. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just getting older and appreciating that a lot more. But one of the guys on staff of a church where I worked was moving just a couple of, of streets away. Well, a couple miles away is more like it. And I remember loading up his truck, and we got everything in there. And Roger's son, Perry, says to me, Hey, Danny, jump back here in the back of the U-Haul and ride with me over to the new house. Well, I'm a cool youth minister at that point, so I'm like, Yeah, dog, I'll get on there with you. So I get on this truck with him. Well, Roger closes the door and he latches it. And once he latched the door, I realized I was claustrophobic because as he was moving around to the side of the truck, I started thinking, I can't get out. I'm stuck in this truck. 
and I'm dependent upon somebody else to get me out of it. So I started banging on that truck as hard as I could, telling Roger, you better come let me out. I'm going to put a hole in the side of this truck. I was kicking the side of that thing. And if you're claustrophobic, you know what I'm talking about. There is, when you get in that situation, you'll about do anything to get out of it. And that's what I was doing. I was trying to get out of that. And I was trying to get out of that situation. And it was horrible. In that, in that moment, there was nothing else worse in my life than I've got to get out of this truck or I'm going to die in here. And what I want you to think about for just a second, and again, it's a, that's a kind of a minor way to make my point today, but God gives us a way out. He doesn't leave us stranded like I was in that U-Haul. He gives us a way out, but there's some things that he needs for us to do. There's a plan that he needs us to carry out. So what is that? Verse 5a, the very first part of verse of 5, tells us what that is. He said, finally, I confess all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And I'm going to stop reading right there. I want us to look real briefly at what those things were. First of all, I think it's interesting that David, that David said, finally. And I wonder if God also wasn't saying, yes, finally, you've gotten to a point you realize you've got to do this. The time has come when you've got to come clean with me. And then he goes on to say, what I need for you to do, first of all, is to confess your sin. I need you to confess your sin. And what he's saying there is, I need you to agree with God about the situation you're in. That's all confession is. God, I agree with what you've said. I agree with what your word has said, and I'm guilty of doing that thing. If I put it in 2019 terms, we need to own it. We need to own our sin and quit blaming everybody else and quit making excuses. We need to own the sin that's in our life and be willing to say, yes, I did that. When somebody hurts us, we want them to own it, and we need to be willing to own it on our own when it comes to God and our relationship with him. We need to quit hiding it. We need to quit concealing it. We need to keep trying to cover it up and be quiet. We need to own the sin that's in our life and confess it, even if we're not sorry. And you say, Danny, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. One of the things I know from time to time is I'll, things will come into my life. Um, probably the one I've struggled with some here lately is I've told you this before, but I, I just love to eat. Um, I just, I mean, I love it. Last week I was on vacation, um, and I knew that I was making progress and losing some weight. But unfortunately, when I was on vacation, my diet, my healthy eating went out the window as well. And I know this is God's temple. I understand that. I'm supposed to be taking care of it. Um, and last week, uh, I'm kind of telling you this hindsight, but I really didn't feel bad for eating the candy I ate, the sweets I ate, the bread I ate. I just loved doing it. It was just good, and I was loving indulging myself and doing things I wasn't supposed to do. But here's the reality. I, what I needed to do was to own up, and I needed to say, hey, I, God, I, I, know, I, I need to take care of my body. I don't need to be eating like this. Now, I didn't, and I'm telling you, I'm confessing that to you. But even if there's sin in your life that you're not sorry for right now, you need to pray and ask God, God, would you move me to a place of feeling remorse for this? Would you move me, a place, move me to a place of feeling guilty about this? Would you move me to a place of getting this out of my life? Because I know it's not something that you want me to be involved in or something you want me to be doing. So the first thing we got to do is to be willing to confess our sin. A second thing is stop hiding guilt tells us that right in scripture. We've got to stop hiding the guilt. And what he's talking about here is the blame that you experience because of an offense. It's the blame that you've experienced because of an offense you've committed. That's the guilt we're talking about here. And here's the deal. You know you're guilty and God knows you're guilty. So why in the world we play this game of not wanting to admit that? I don't know, but I do it just like you do. And we don't want to do that. But God says, no, you've got to stop hiding it. When I read this, I kind of got a chuckle. Um, I know right now some of the schools are selling world's finest chocolate, and that kind of just 
took a flashback to me to Boy Scouts, and they would give us these, I think this is how they still do it, 30 bars of world's finest chocolate. You broke them in half, there were 15 bars on each side. At that point, they were a dollar, and at that point, they were big bars. I mean, they were, ooh, I'm getting hungry thinking about this. But these, the, nowadays, there's these little skinny, little nappy things. Back then, these were big, thick, good bars. Well, I told you I like to eat. And I love chocolate. So what I would do is I would sell about three bars and I would put all the other bars underneath my bed. Over the course of about three weeks, I would eat. And I'm not kidding you. My brother and sister still laugh at me about this. I would eat the other 27, 28, 25 bars, how many I didn't sell, literally. And then what I would do at the end, I would have to go to mom and dad. I told you my mom and dad didn't play. And I would go to them and they would say, where's your $30? And I would say, well, here's three of it. Where are your 27 bars? I don't have my 27 bars. Where are your 27 bars? I don't know where my 27 bars are. You got to have $27, you got to have 24. And I would go back and forth with them. And finally, they would be like, you ate the bars, didn't you, son? I'm laughing now. This wasn't funny then. And they covered for me, but I had to pay them back for all those bars I'd eaten. Why am I telling you all that? Because I was trying to hide my guilt. I was guilty of that offense, and I was trying to hide it and make up some excuse that I knew I wasn't going to get out of, but I tried to make up some excuse for why I did it. And the reality is I should have just come clean and stopped trying to hide that guilt. I was guilty. I, I mean, I was um, responsible for an offense that I'd committed. I need to own it. And that's what he's saying. God's saying, own the thing that you're guilty about. And then the last thing he says there is just to confess rebellion. And to me, that kind of covers everything. Just confess the fact that you rebelled and you did what I told you not to do. You did what my word taught you not to do. Just, just confess that. So we need to understand that God, while he has a great desire for our life, there's some things he wants to confess our sin, to stop hiding our guilt, to confess that rebellion. Now, let me go to the fourth point, and that is God's provision. And this one I can get really, really excited about because this is when, again, to me, we find out just how good God is on this one. So let me share with you real quickly. When we recognize our stubbornness, when we understand God's desire, which we talked about that a moment ago, we act on that desire, then we get to experience his provision. And in the scripture, in the verses, we'll see, and let me just read the last part of verse 5. He says, and you, speaking of God, forgave me all of my guilt is gone. Don't miss that. You forgave me and all of my guilt is gone. Watch this. One of the things that God provides for us is forgiveness. One of the cool things about God's forgiveness is it is absolutely 100% complete forgiveness. And I'm going to show you that in Psalm 103, verse 12. So let me read that to you real quickly, and you're going to get a great picture of what that looks like. He says this, He has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. That is pretty cool, people, that God, when he forgives us, he removes sin from our life as far as the east is from the west. It's, up there, it's gone. It's no longer with him. It's no longer present. And taking that a little bit further, flipping over to Isaiah, and I love this verse. This is awesome. Isaiah 43, um, verse 25, God's word says this. When I find Isaiah, there it is. Uh, 43, 25, God says this. Um, just carry on that thought for just a second. He says, I... Yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake. Listen, and will never think of them again. Do you hear that verse? God's telling you that when he forgives you, he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he says right here in Scripture that he will never think of your sin again. Okay, that is so cool to me because when I stop and I think about that, nobody forgives like that. It seems like somebody's always holding something over your head. But God says here, when I forgive you, I forget about it. And the reason I love this so much is because 
We don't totally understand this forgiveness. First John 1, 9 to me helps me understand it more. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you understand this today that when you and I confess our sin to God and Jesus Christ takes the penalty of that sin from us, which is the importance of Jesus' sacrifice, the Bible says that God forgives that sin and we're holy and blameless. Listen to those words, holy and blameless. We're like God in the fact that we're holy because we've been forgiven and we're blameless. Jesus Christ took the brunt of that. So you and I get to experience that when we're willing to confess our sin to God. But for some reason, we want to hold on to that and try to do something with it ourselves. And God's saying, no, I want to forgive you for that. And when I forgive you, I'll never bring it up again. When you bring it up, I'll be emphasizing to you, stop. I don't even know what you're talking about. I forgave that sin a long, long time ago. Quit Quit relying on that. Quit feeling guilty for that. I've forgiven you. And this is so hard for me to grasp, that, that, that God would forgive me and love me like that, but his word tells us that's what he'll do. He provides that kind of forgiveness for us. Then he goes on in these verses to tell us God not only provides forgiveness, but he provides the uh, guilt-free life. The guilt is gone, he tells us in these verses, that the blame game no longer has to happen. God's saying, I'm going to forgive you, and it's going to be a total forgiveness, and I don't even want you to think about it. I don't want you to focus on it anymore. I've moved on, and I'm ready to take you to a new place, so quit living back there. Let's move forward. And then, as I was studying my notes last night, I went back to verses 1 and 2, and I also noticed another benefit, another provision that God gives us when we're willing to confess our sin. And it's in verse 1 and verse 2. He says, Oh, what, here's the word, joy, for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. And then verse 2, he says, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Joy. He's talking about joy here, and joy is a happiness. It's a blessed feeling that we have. I love this definition. It's an envied state that's not dependent upon outward circumstances. An envied state that's not dependent upon outward circumstances. So in other words, God can give us a peace. God can give us a fulfillment, a contentment that's not dependent upon anything around us when we're willing to confess our sin to him. He's giving us that joy and he's saying to us, enjoy that. Here, this is a gift because you're in right place with me and what's in your life is in your life. Or what's supposed to be in your life is there and what's supposed to not be in your life is not there. And he's saying, so experience this joy I have for you. So God provides forgiveness. He provides a guilt-free life. He provides us the joy. And here's what I want to ask you today. Could God simply be silent in your life right now because there's a sin that's in the way? There's a sin that's standing in the way of your relationship with him. And my thought is looking around this worship center, there are some of us that that's exactly why God's silent. Because there's something that he wants us today to hear and to understand about the importance of understanding his desire for us and our need to do some things. And it really boils down to confessing that and repenting of it and turning from it. And when we do that, God begins to open up and is able to share and to do the things in our lives that he wants to. But we need to understand when we hide that sin and we hang on to that sin, it cuts off God's ability to do the things that he wants to do because he's a holy and he's a just God. And he wants to forgive us, but we can't do it until we confess it, until we rely on Jesus to provide that forgiveness. So this morning, I just pray that you'll spend some time looking back over these verses, looking back over your sermon notes, and that you'll just ask yourself, God, is this why you're silent? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But if it is, that you'll have the boldness and courage to step out and confess that thing and to repent of it so that God is no longer silent in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to come to you and thank you for this morning. Father, I want to thank you for your word, that it's truth. 
Father, I want to thank you this morning that you'd be willing to share some incredible truths with us about uh, your silence, and it could be because there's sin in our life, and you've given us steps on how to handle that. I'm still amazed today that despite sin being in our life, there's so many incredible things that you want to do, and we've looked at some of those today. But I just thank you uh, for the truth that you've shown us today. And my prayer for each of us is that we would take some time just to examine our own lives, to look in to see, is there sin in my life? Is there an area that's not in alignment with what God wants? And that we would be courageous and bold enough to confess that, to bring that to you so that once we do that, we can experience the things that we've talked about today. Father, I want to thank you most of all for Jesus Christ that makes that forgiveness possible. Father, because without him, forgiveness is impossible. So thank you for him. Thank you for the ultimate price that he paid for each one of us. And I pray for each person in here today, if they don't know Jesus Christ personally, that when this service wraps up or is this worship team's leading in just a moment, that, Father, you'd give them the courage to go to a prayer encourager, to grab them by the hand and say, talk to me about how I can know Jesus. Talk to me about how I can begin a journey with him. And, Father, I pray that that person will be bold enough to to step out and to make that decision. But Father, again, I'm so grateful today for your word, for the truth that's in it, and for a reminder today that there may be something in our lives called sin that keeps us from hearing from you. And again, would you give us the boldness and the courage to step out and to confess that. Father, move right now. Do whatever it is that you need to do. And thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.